Hello and welcome back to The Base. I am your host, Fred Curtis of CTK Strategies and Relentless Love. And we have our other co-host, Becca Nyberg, political strategist, immigration attorney. Hi, Becca. Hi, good morning. Good morning. It seems like you had, uh, up to this point, much more caffeine than uh, the last time we uh, we did this. Would that be accurate? No, I'm pretty oh. evenly caffeinated throughout. You know, I, I'm not a, I'm not a coffee person, but I have my chai every morning and and that makes me happy. How am I just now finding out you're not a coffee person? I don't know. It's like this dirty little secret. People like don't understand when you don't like coffee. And I like, don't, I don't like the taste. I don't like the smell. Mm. No. Ah, That's good to know. I should start asking more uh, probative questions. No, I mean, I don't, I don't understand people who get mad at folks who don't like coffee. I, I, my first cup of coffee was on my second day of law school. Um, that's just how exhausted I was. And now I'm an addict. And so, you know, if you're wondering how people get hooked on things, it's partly because of our abusive and manipulative professional school system. But that's a different rant that we can go into uh, at a later point. Anyway, Becca doesn't drink coffee. I drank too much coffee. Uh, it's it's January 28th, so we're not going to say Happy New Year. Anyway, today on our show, uh, primarily going to talk about two things. One is really just give a gloss over of uh, President Biden's first week. Hint, it's a very executive order um, laden. Uh, and then secondly, uh, we'll talk about to impeach or not to impeach, which, yes, we know, um, the former president has already been impeached for the second time. Uh, we're trying to make sure that we keep our language away that uh, people who are both very politically and civically engaged and maybe not so much um, can identify. So former president has already been impeached. Yes, we're going to have a conversation around whether or not a trial uh, should take place. And uh, then we'll close out uh, with some little lighthearted uh, notes pertaining to what Beck and I intend on either reading up on, enjoying, or just uh, looking at heading into the weekend. Did I miss anything? I don't think so, but you know, I was yelling at a cat. Uh, usual, so. <laughs> crazy cat lady. Um, all right. So uh, former President Trump uh, was uh, actually, you know what? That is not the order we're going to go in. Let's talk about Joe Biden first. Um, his first week as president, it's been, I don't know, I guess, I don't want to say uneventful, uh, he's up to about 80 executive orders. Um, it's uneventful from a legislative perspective. I actually heard someone on uh, CNN say that at one point, which I didn't quite uh, agree with or understand. Um, as someone who has lived through the past four years, I've actually found the last week um, pretty encouraging and steadying in that I don't need to wake up and see what was said uh, on Twitter um, and see if we are instigating uh, World War III uh, or if anyone is being encouraged to go uh, shoot elected officials. So that cannot be understated um, about Biden's uh, first week. Uh, there's also a lot of variety. How sad is that, P.S.? Like that, That's our metric. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, you know, it's... Uh, and it's a legitimate metric, but very like, legitimate. how sad is that? Very, yes. Um, and... I think it's going to take a while for that to not be the metric, which is really sad too, to be honest. Um, the last four years seemed seemed pretty seemed pretty extensive, like a long road. Well, I'm going to take us off on a tangent on that. Uh oh. Um, <laughs> and it, and it's you know you and I both Fred are both mental health advocates and kind of 
embroiled in that space, uh, sometimes whether we don't want to, and most of the time, because we think it's an important place to be. But I mean, I think it is, you know, the tangent that I want to go off on is the effects of trauma. Uh. And, you know, we're joking lightheartedly about, you know, oh, checking Twitter and, you know, what's going to come out next. There are a lot of people, I would say, you know, the nation as a whole, even if you're on the other side of the aisle, that has gone through trauma in the past four years. And we need to recognize that. We need to recognize that we individually have gone through trauma um, in addition to us as a collective have gone through trauma and recognize that we need time to process it and we need time to get through it and we can't dismiss it. And even if we're going to make these lighthearted jokes, which is totally fine, of course, also recognize that there's a deep seated, more internalized issue that we are kind of poking fun at. And that is that is the deep seated trauma. You know, in, in learning about trauma, it's it takes the body, what is it, twice as long to process huh. yeah. the trauma that it's endured. So we're talking about as a country looking at eight years of healing, eight years of going through healing from the trauma of the past four years. And I don't think that that can be understated. And I did want to point it out and, you know, put that out to people. Don't feel bad if you feel like you're traumatized because you are, please seek help if you need to seek help to, to deal with that trauma, but otherwise take, take care of yourself and recognize that you do need to put something into your mental health, even after the time period that the trauma being inflicted upon you has passed, continue to put time into your mental health, time into healing time into, you know, dealing with that trauma that you've endured. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, nothing to add there, except, yeah, if you are in a position where uh, you feel like mentally things have been uh, a drain uh, on you or you're having a hard time just processing or reflecting uh, any other trauma you've experienced, definitely encourage folks to, to, to get help and uh, seek resources where, wherever um, they can and wherever they might be available to you. So, yes, we were poking a little bit of fun um, at the at the past four years, but um, definitely understand the the weight and the, and the magnitude of that um, as well. Kind of leading into that, though, I do think it is uh, helpful for the country to uh, now have a president who, uh, at the very least, uh, and and I, I think this is something that you know all reasonable people can agree on, you know, on every you know sort of spectrum uh, of political ideology. Uh, that we do have a president who is uniquely, I think, empathetic uh, and, and, and understanding of uh, the human experience. I mean, he's he's had, I don't want to say probably, I want to say the two biggest losses anyone can experience in their life. Um, I don't I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a reach. And I don't think that's probably he lost his first wife um, and uh, I think two children in that accident. Uh, as well, one, one, one two child, children that, two children in the car, one child passed away. I one think. child passed. So yeah, he lost his first wife and one child. Um, and then he lost uh, a son, uh, not too long ago in the previous a grown son, right? A grown son who, you know, honestly, everyone in political circles probably would have told you he would have taken the oath of office last week. Um, not just that he lost his son, but he lost a son who reminded him so much I guess of himself and those, those two were, were incredibly close. You can look up and, and, you know, read on yourself, but um, yeah, he's lost a spouse. He's lost two children. Uh, I don't think that can be understated in so far as how he goes about, um, you know, working with Congress, communicating with the, with the press, 
going about his everyday actions, particularly when you've got a, a raging pandemic where uh, over 400,000 Americans have died. Uh, the new estimates that just came out is if you know nothing changes or we don't make drastic sort of changes, um, we're going to reach probably half a half a half a million uh, American lives lost from COVID uh, by February 24th, which is uh, that projected date. Um, so the sad news just sort of keeps rolling in, uh, and you know I I I am actually pleasantly surprised by what I've seen from the first week of the Biden administration. I think you've got unreasonable people out there, right, who expect him to have solved world peace, um, fix the entire climate crisis, uh, and eradicated COVID. Uh, uh, in eight days. And that's just not possible. Um, I like the, I, I, w- I would say, you know, I could go on and on about this. What's what to put it succinctly, what is most encouraging um, about the Biden presidency so far is I think it's clear he understands um, one, the magnitude of, of the role, which, you know, again, saying that, I, it, it beckons back to just what we've gone through in the last four years, right? It's like, you, you, you really shouldn't be commended for understanding the weight of the presidency of the United States. But in lieu of the previous guy, like that's a positive. And so it's like, there's this ongoing reconciliation that I'm trying to do about where we stand now as far as with the executive branch, because the previous version was just so bad. And this isn't a partisan take for those who might say like, you know, I, I think George W. Bush understood the weight of the presidency, regardless of how I feel about his actions, you know, I, I so on and so forth. You can go down the list. Um, his dad before that, you know, we can talk about Ronald Reagan, but so on and so forth. Um, oh, no, let's not go off on that rant today. <laughs> we know how so, you get started on that. <laughs> so I, I think that's a good thing uh, about Biden. Number two, and this is more of a strategic sort of political point. As Democrats continue to have conversations around, um, you know, the former president and his impeachment trial, so on and so forth, which we'll talk about momentarily. Um, I like that it seems he's being very strategic about what is said and what isn't, um, how he's formulating relationships and what he's, um, you know, saying, what he's doing in private, rather, um, as far as with members of Congress and so on and so forth. I think it is a plus. He is, you know, the first, uh, he's the first president in an incredibly long time uh, who has anything more than one term of experience in Congress. Um, and I can think about that and that will come to my you know, head if you give me two minutes to think about it. But you know, Obama was in the Senate for what, two years before he started running for president. Um, you know, Trump had no political experience. Um, George W. Bush was governor of Texas, but no Washington experience. He tried to rely heavily on his on his father's connections, and his father uh, was in Congress for a short period of time, all the way back in the '60s and '70s. Uh, Bill Clinton was former governor of Arkansas, no connections in Congress, so on and so forth. Reagan, um, you know, so you can go down the list. So I, I think that is a unique perspective that hopefully I'm encouraged, and and I want to believe is going to help him uh, get things done uh, over the next, uh, you know four years and, and, you know, maybe even four years after that. Yeah. I mean, it's, for me, it's, you know, we have seen some big things come out of there, but the most encouraging part to me is the little things that are coming out, the contemplative nature that has gone on. One of the executive orders that isn't exciting to talk about and isn't going to splash across headlines was that any um, regulatory change that had been put out, I think it was in the last 100 days, is, is basically frozen for review. So mm. unlike the previous administration who kind of threw all of these things out, we saw through the courts that you know the administration had a lot of problems with that. He, 
a lot of those regulations got stopped for not following proper procedure. Even the rescission of DACA, which did, you know, which was splash air and made headlines. It wasn't because the court said DACA was right or DACA was wrong. It was that there weren't proper procedures that were followed Mm. to rescind it. So looking at, you know, having this administration look at individually each of these regulations, figuring out how it fits into the bigger puzzle of government and of the legal structure as a whole, looking at all of them to see if that's really what we want to do here. All of that is, number one, a tremendous task, but number two, something that's really necessary. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think you can find legislators at any level of government, whether it's, you know, your city council all the way up, where you pass a law and, oops, something happened that you didn't foresee. So looking at all of the angles before you put anything out is incredibly important. And that's what makes, I can't say the best laws because, you know, there still will be unintended consequences, but that's what makes better laws. That's what makes a better system. You know, looking at it in a holistic approach instead of just throwing haphazardly these regulations because, you know, we like this agency or we don't like this agency or we like this population or not that population, whatever it is, isn't a good way to make laws regardless of which side you're on. You need to have a holistic structure and a holistic plan. Here's what I want to do with immigration, with public health, with education, whatever it is, whatever the area is, you need that holistic big plan before you can drill down on these individual, you know, little um, snippets of administrative law and administrative procedure. And that's to me, what's incredibly encouraging, you know, looking back to past presidents, my problem with George W. Bush was not that he was Republican, it was that he surrounded himself with yes men. And that he wasn't getting different perspectives. So it was just like, okay, this is what I'm doing. And, you know, you all agree, right? And everybody said, sure, we agree without really looking at it. At least for me, the best administrations are the ones that surround themselves with people with differing points of view and people who feel like they can express those differing points of view. Just because you don't agree with my conclusion, the fact that you've heard me out, the fact that you've considered what I'm saying makes better law, makes better policy. And those are the administrations that I admire the most and that I think do the best job, regardless of which side of the aisle you're on. Yeah. And I, and I think what we've seen so far from the Biden administration is encouraging and speaks to, to, to that level of um, sort of collective uh, thought. Like, I don't think, you know, the president's going to have any trouble at the end of the day saying, hey, I'm the president. This is the decision I'm going to make. But I do believe, and we've got evidence to believe he's going to take into account people who are qualified uh, when they offer an opinion or expertise. Um, I think in some of his executive orders, you can see that. And one of the things I'm encouraged by is his sort of continued evolution. I think we always give politicians um, flack for, oh, we like, we love to call you know, things flip-flopping or you did this or that 30 or 40 years ago. And when you've been in the public light that long, yes, you've done some things in your past that you no longer agree with. Um, I put things in my first book that I wrote six years ago that I no longer agree with or believe in. That was six years ago. Um, So you can imagine what things I might, you know, 
uh, evolve on in the next 20 or 30 years. Uh, one of the executive orders was uh, prevent, prevents the Justice Department um, from renewing contracts with private prisons. And I know one of the more popular things for people to say um, oh, during the election was that Biden wrote the crime bill. Um, that's not particularly true. Uh, it's incredibly uh, nuanced and uh, it's a much larger conversation. Um, but to see him sort of evolve on issues like that and, and he's in office again, right? So it's not a matter of um, oh, you know, I'm placating for political purposes. No, I mean, you know, he's got another four years before he has to run again. It's not even clear if he's going to or wants to run again. Um, and there's precedent for that. Reagan didn't decide he was running for office again until um, March of 1984. Uh, so that's, you know, that's that's uh, not not something that's just being floated out in the sky. So you can go down the list. Um, but But I'm encouraged by this by this administration. To that point, um, moving sort of into our next segment, and they really do tie in together, um, is that if you, I'm sure many of you already know, the House did uh, vote to impeach uh, President Trump um, last week in a vote that was not fully uh, partisan, which was somewhat encouraging. Uh, 222 Democrats, um, 222 in total, rather, excuse me, uh, voted to uh, impeach uh, the, okay, numbers wrong. Here we go, 232 in total, just kept climbing by tens there. We want to make sure we get things right. Um, voted in favor of impeachment, 10 Republicans, uh, Liz Cheney from Wyoming, Anthony Gonzalez, Ohio, Jamie Herrera, uh, John Cato, Adam Kinzinger. We'll link this in the show notes. So 10 Republicans. Liz Cheney already has a huge opposition forming on the Republican side uh, to primary her, which I think speaks to uh, the only word I can use is depravity of the current Republican Party in that Liz Cheney is not a moderate at all. And the fact that she is one of the leaders of the party, seen by many as a you know future potential uh, nominee for president of the Republican Party, comes out and does what many people feel is just right. The president incited a riot. He should be impeached. And, uh, and she's already seeing a formidable um, challenge from, from within her own party as far as organizing around um, giving her uh, a primary challenge. It's moved over to the Senate side uh, where Mitch McConnell still is trying to just bully Chuck Schumer um, into believing that uh, McConnell is still in power. Uh, Senator Tim Kaine actually noted yesterday that uh, if it seems it's highly unlikely that uh, they'll reach the two-thirds threshold to actually be able to impeach the former president, then maybe it just makes sense to censure him, save the time on the trial, uh, and be able to get to work with helping the American people who desperately need it right now with COVID relief, economic help, um, so on, excuse me, and so forth, uh, battling climate change. Um, I have lots of feels about current Democratic leadership and Speaker Pelosi and, and leader, uh, leader Schumer. Uh, now, I will totally provide the caveat here to plenty of people that I, I do, you know, do a lot of work in national Democratic politics. And so, um, you know, we do live in a capitalistic society. And, and so therefore, my critiques uh, or my public critiques of uh, Speaker Pelosi or Leader Schumer are a little bit more tame than some of my other critiques. And I have no reservations about acknowledging that. And I do think that uh, is something that should be noted. However, you know, I, I, I would like to see more, uh, more sh strength in leadership, for lack of a better term, um, from particularly Chuck Schumer. Uh, I don't think Mitch McConnell should be in any situation or any position to dictate what the Senate does and does not do right now. You are no longer a leader. 
you should know you're in a minority. And at some point, I think Chuck Schumer has to do something that sort of puts Mitch in his place, for lack of a better term. Um, but I'm sure you've got, you know, more extensive thoughts on this as well. So I think it goes back to not on strength of leadership, but on the party as a whole and the party not knowing what it wants to do right now. The Democratic Party really being not just leaderless, but focusless, not having a, a really clear understanding or, you know, the, again, that, that, big, that big overarching strategic plan, what do we want to do? Where do we want to go? And I don't know if it's just that the party is like, oh, we didn't expect to win all of these seats. We didn't expect to be in control. We don't, you know, or if it's that there are so many different voices in the tent that there isn't a clear one that's really emerging to follow. I don't know if it's one way or the other, but it that's what it feels like more to me than being leaderless is that the party itself is is going through going through a change, going through a metamorphosis, trying to figure out what it wants to be when it grows up, you know, something like that. That's what I'm really seeing is that, you know, Biden seems to have a pretty clear plan. You know, here's what we're doing. You know, here's what I'm looking at going forward. But the party as a whole isn't really following that. See, that's isn't the really being like, you know, okay, we're going to do this. Well, but that's what I'm saying. I don't know if it's a leadership problem as opposed to the voices in the tent can't agree. I think I well, yeah, you're right. I don't think it's a leadership problem per se from a I think we have a very clear leader. When your party is in control of the White House, that is your party leader, period. Um, I think therefore what needs to happen is Schumer needs to figure out a way to get everybody in line and say, hey, we've got the White House. This is what the president wants to do. Therefore, these are our priorities. If you disagree with those priorities, we have these things called elections every two years. We can hash those out then. But I think there's still just too many factions trying to dictate or input or figure out sort of what direction we're going. Like we had this conversation, y'all. We figured out where we wanted the party to go. It was called a primary. And we did that for 18 months. And regardless of how you feel about him, this guy emerged and now he's in the White House. So I, I get the sort of idea and the struggle amongst progressives and so on and so forth about, hey, we want this, that, or the third. But there, there I think my problem is, you're absolutely right. And I agree with you. There are a variety of different factions, you know, dueling and, and trying to figure out sort of what the direction or the future of the party is and sort of what we want to get out of these next two years. Um, but I, I don't think that should even be a conversation. And, and, and I, for example, you know, there's more disagreement amongst things within the Republican Party than the public knows even in the last four years, that th what they have is a guy who gets everybody in line, who whips votes and says, hey, this is what we're going to well, do. And that's, they follow but that's the Conor. major difference between the parties. The Republicans yell at each other, you know, hash it out behind, you know, maybe even come to blows, who knows, behind closed doors. Yes. But at the end of the day, they come out and they fall in line. Absolutely. And it's true for elected officials. It's true for voters. Mm -hmm. The Republican Party says, this is our candidate, vote for him. And the Republicans go, yes, okay. sir, let's go. And the Democrats don't. Yeah. I am not a big fall in line person. I am not a, <laughs> yeah, shocking, I know. I am not a huge, you know, if you're a Democrat, you must vote this way no matter what on a bill or for this person or, you know, whatever else. Um, so maybe I'm part of the problem. Um, <laughs> I accept that. 
but at the same time, you know, there's, there needs to be some sort of way. And we've talked about this through past elections as well. The party needs a plan. The party needs a set of priorities, a, you know, this is the path we're on, whatever it is, a message, you know, no new taxes, you know, um, MAGA, whatever. Democrats don't have that, you know, and, and Democrats need that to be successful. So I fully expect that we're going to see some losses in the midterm because of that. Um, you know, and, and not that that's what I want to happen, you know, but I fully expect that because there's too much infighting. There's too much airing the, the laundry in public, yeah. you know, whatever the, you know, whatever it is that you want to use. And until the Democrats can figure out who are we, what do we stand for? What, you know, and not just, you know, here and there and individually, but as a party, and maybe that's something that the new party chair can really can really focus on. You know, I know there's a lot of excitement. I don't know a lot about him. I know there's a lot of excitement about him. So maybe that's why. Maybe that's you know his big thing, and he will help that. Because if we don't get something like that together, we're we're gonna bleed in the midterms. Yeah, absolutely bleed seats. I don't know. I I I, I totally agree with you on that point. I, I think those types of things. Like messaging across a party is so nuanced and broad that it takes, I think, years for that to be fully entrenched. And so even if Jamie Harrison, who's the new DNC uh, chair, comes in and that's a priority and he, you know, does a lot of focus groups, talks to a lot of people and, and, you know, gets a four or five point thing going like the Republicans have as far as this is Democrats and this is what we stand for this decade. You still can't really expect that to be entrenched in time for the midterms, you know, and so I think what maybe we should have been doing in the past and what we have a chance to do now, now that we have all three branches of government is there's, there's gotta be some, some swallowing of ego for lack of a better term. And, you know, say for now, our party is what the president says it is. Um, Because I think that's the only way you can get anything accomplished. And I know we all want radical change, but you're not getting radical change with, you know, with the vice president being the tie-breaking vote in the Senate, but you can get, you can darn sure get some very good quality, you know, steps forward in a variety of areas on climate change, on the economy, on immigration, on racial injustice, so on and so forth. And there's, there are too many people in this party who are all or nothing. And, 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 and I, and I think that's, that's going to be the challenge and my goal or my hope actually is that, you know, Biden is intentional about saying, I think it's going to become a fork in the road where here in his administration have to say, all right, this is how we're going to do things to his own party. Because if you don't do that, then my fear once again, like happened in 2009, is that you end up with one marginal incremental piece of legislation and then you get, you get clobbered in the midterms. Um, and I do not want to see that happen again. Yep. I agree. <laughs> I don't know. Any, anything, anything else you want to, you want to um, say on that? Uh, no, I'm good. That's uh, that's, 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 I mean, I've got other 
feels, but um, I just- Well, we never really got to the question of whether to impeach or not, even though we have now run our time out. So yeah. that's, you know, completely surprising for us that we would put more on our agenda than go off on three different tangents and not get to it all. Well, it's been 24 minutes. So it's not like, you know, it's just- or, or, I, I mean, my argument goes into actually that point and that, you know, I think Biden asked for the trial to be delayed um, initially so that he would have time to, to sort of push his agenda forward. Um, I, I, I honestly, I agree with that. You know, I, I do think I do think the, the former president needs to be uh, held accountable for his role in January 6th. But we just spent the past four years as a collective coalition on, throughout all parts of this country with one goal. That was to get rid of him. Get him out of office. We did that. Now people are suffering. People are dying from a public health emergency. Uh, they don't have money. Many of them are being kicked out of their homes. I, I, I just don't see tr putting the former president on trial as, as a priority right now. And I know I'm very much so in the minority of that within this party. Um, but I want to see them get to work on some of the more legislative matters rather than spend a whole lot of time on it. At least not like the current trial is scheduled, I think, for February 8th. I mean, that's what, two weeks from now? I mean, we got we got 400,000 people who died from COVID. We're expected to have 500,000 people passing away from COVID. How about walking and chewing gum, though? Why can't we do both? Because we have very real issues right now. I think you could walk and chew gum if you only had a recession or if you didn't have a climate crisis, but with so many other things going on, I just, you know, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't consider it to be a... a the, the, the biggest priority, mostly because whenever you're doing something like that, something of that magnitude, whether it's legislative or, you know, um, you know, a, a, a Senate impeachment trial, right? You are sacrificing something politically from a capitalist perspective. And you don't know what that is yet. But if you go through with the trial in February, which I'm sure they will, you know, we'll see what happens. Something is going to get lost from a political capital perspective. We don't know what it is. Time will tell. Um, but you, you're even, you can try your best to walk and chew gum. Uh, but, but something, something gets dropped at some point. Uh, and well, I guess we'll just have to see what that is. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't feel strongly one way or the other about whether it should go forward or not. I, I you know, and it just, in thinking about it, I just go down the rabbit hole of my first year criminal law, criminal procedure class of what is the point of punishment? You know, is it retribution? Is it to deter others? You know, what is it? And I'm just not sure what the point of it is besides, you know, somewhat of schadenfreude, right? But, yeah. you know, I, I do think he's going to face some criminal charges, yes. you know, in New York. <laughs> You know, where else? So, like, can we get our Schadenfreude that way? Well, um, yeah, I admit, that was the point. I actually, that was a big omission of mine. Yes, he's going to be indicted on charges. It's not as if there's no other recourse for him to not be able to run for office again. Oh, he got a lot of lawsuits coming. Um, so thank you for bringing that up. That is central to sort of my, I'm, I don't, I'm not like, oh, don't do this or do this. But I am much more on the side of like, he's going to jail regardless. Like, can we get on with other stuff? So. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the point of, you know, well, we need to tell other people not to do these things. First of all, the Supreme Court threw out the emoluments lawsuit, which was, to me, the biggest amount of corruption going on anyway. So we're not going to get anything on that. No. And I mean, do we really need to tell future pres presidents not to stage coups? I mean, it's not... 
I don't think so. You know, going back to you know Clinton's impeachment, misusing his po- his power of office. Okay, fine. I can you know I can see that there's some like lessons to be learned from there. But the, Trump is impeached based on starting an insurrection. I mean, I don't think that there's any sort of lessons to be learned about. Oh, you really shouldn't do that. I mean, I think we got that part. Yeah. So you know, for me, Loud. it's much more about retribution, and I just. I'm just not sure it's enough. But, you know, again, going back to what we, what I said at the beginning about trauma, maybe this is a part of healing for people, you know, healing in their trauma. So maybe it helps people in that respect. So I don't want to discount that because it can be very important in that respect. For me, you know, it's not important, but, you know, maybe it is for the country as a whole. Maybe it is for a certain portion of the population. You know, I don't know. And that's why I, I don't really have a strong feeling on it. That's our show for today. Thanks, Becca. Yeah. Have a good weekend. This is the base.